We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. And welcome to the Moose and Roots Podcast. This is episode 184 of the pod. Matt Rooney, Joe Musso here to bring you your smooth styling, Chicago style. Uh, but we have a special Tease. guest here uh, this episode. Uh, a, a absolute Chicago sports mind in Ryan McGuffey. Uh, fantastic work that he does over with you, Matt, at NBC Sports Chicago. I, I, I worked under him as well in my time at NBC Sports Chicago. He lends some gems when it comes to the White Sox and far beyond. We're going to talk a little Sox with him. We'll talk a little Cubs. We will get a lock of the week from Ryan McGuffey. You don't want to miss that. Uh, and we let him lament Bears for a moment or two as well. We're not going to do that. We're we not cover it there. Here. We we gave you five we, minutes we, we cover back it there. into that interview. That's and that's really need. all that it deserves. Uh, Bears lose another heartbreaker. I didn't want to call it heartbreaker. It's four minutes and thirty seconds. Yeah, I mean, my heart because, wasn't broken. I didn't really because care. we're still because we're still Bears fans. That's why. And sure. um, I think less than heartbreak, it's more embarrassment to have to walk into work, to have to walk into a room, to have to wear the Bears C on your chest with complete and utter embarrassment these days. Um, I, maybe it's not an experience you have. No, I, I folded up the I, I don't in, really wear it anymore. But but you're you're embarrassed you amongst no, I know the embarrassed. Yeah. I walk into a newsroom with Giants you know, fans uh, and Patriots. Yeah, fans which and, Giants yeah. fans are kind of feeling themselves right now a little bit. Patriots fans have never been more quiet. Um, I, there's some Philly fans who, you know, are right where we are right now. Uh, got some fans from, we got some Tampa Bay fans in the office. Like there's, there's a little bit of everything. So to have to walk into a mixed office like that uh, as a Bears fan has not been easy this season, but um, who wants to hear me cry? Let's, uh, let's take it over to our boy Guff. You got anything else before we, before we send it over to this? No, time? just Guff is, he, his title is, a, uh, I think he's special produ- senior producer and senior White producer. Sox content head. But mm-hmm. the, the guy covers it all. He, his senior producer title, he, he's working on Bulls stuff. He's working on Hawks stuff. He's working on he – do, he does everything for us, and he, he covers just about everything for us. I think we planned on sitting down for about 20 minutes, half hour, and I, I think we went about double that, if not more. So An absolute uh, great, Division great three sports legend as well. Uh, so you know he's kindred spirits right here on the Moose and Roots podcast. Let's get to it. Ryan McGuffey on the Moose and Roots podcast. Stretch. Way back. They look up. You can put it on the board. We now have the pleasure of being joined by senior producer, NBC Sports Chicago, head of Sox content, Ryan McGuffey. Uh, McGuff, thank you so much for joining us here to talk a couple White Sox topics here. Uh, we will give you a little bit of airtime to lament bears, but we have done it. Uh, we have done it. That's why we're exhausting the guests now because I was going to say keep talking. About do you guys? Do you guys take copay? This is therapy too. I didn't know that. Two exhaustion is an understatement, and yes, I have I have used this as my weekly therapy, but uh, apathy has set in, and uh, one can only do so much when it comes to the Chicago Bears, but we're going to start off talking a little White Sox here. couple big moves earlier on in the week. Um, I want to talk Eaton first, uh, because you, you did come out on Sox Talk Podcast and uh, were a proponent of this move. I know there are some detractors. I know there's some questions, but just on the surface here, one year, $7 million club option in 2022 for a little bit more cash there. He brings a world series pedigree back to Chicago that he didn't have when he left. 
a bit poetic in the uh, sense. I mean, the four years ago, the trade Eaton leaves uh, that turns into Giolito, Dunning, and Lopez. Uh, other pieces moving here uh, quite quickly after that. But just you hear this news: Adam Eaton back to Chicago. Your visceral, immediate reaction was what? Um, my vis, I, it's I like the move, assuming that there's pitching to come. Because to me, number one need by far for the White Sox is and was starting pitching. So, you know, for everybody clamoring for George Springer, I never thought George Springer was a number one need for the White Sox. Don't get me wrong. He would fit in quite nicely in any lineup in baseball. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to dish out 80 to 100 million for George Springer, I I don't know if that's the the right spot for funds to be allocated with this team right now. So that gets us to Adam Eaton or the, you know, plethora of guys that were like Adam Eaton, one one to two-year deals. And here's what you know about Adam Eaton. In between the lines for three and a half hours, you, uh, the player, you love him mm-hmm. because the way he plays the game, he grinds out at best, he's pes- he pisses off other teams. He just plays the game the way you kind of want to play. He has that little A.J. Przinsky edge to him that, that, that is good for your team. In a boneheaded sense, just like a ball player, a guy that's going to give you 160 days out of the year and, and come to the ballpark. Yeah. Now the question is how he left the organization mm-hmm. and, and, and some of the things that happened. And that seems to have drawn quite the, uh, the, uh, the air on, on Twitter from Sox fans. And I get it. Look, I, I'm okay with it. I, I understand. And if I were bringing him in, you know, every question I would have about Adam Eaton would be the six hours he's at the ballpark not on the field mm-hmm. and can he coexist? Is this going to be a distraction? Will he be an issue? Because you've created a new culture here that you don't have room or time for this crap. And the White Sox wouldn't have brought him in if they felt like he was going to disrupt the clubhouse. And I thought the athletic did a really good deep dive saying that the White Sox were brought into some of the players were brought into the conversation about adding a guy like Eaton and whether or not he would distract the clubhouse and they all signed off on it because of the type of player he is. And I think this is where Tony La Russa and I've been, I mean, and Matt knows this, I, I have not necessarily been the biggest proponent of that hire, but this is a situation where a guy like Tony La Russa in that role is probably really good for a signing of Adam Eaton. And I think he's not going to put up with anybody trying to mix up, yeah. you know, trying to do something other than winning and doing their be- putting their best foot forward in order to win. Do you think part of the reason they were able to bring him in feel comfortable doing so with all that kind of locker room questions is because they've built such a strong culture now with this young core and he's Eaton's not really in a place like in 2016 where he had to be a locker room leader. He's kind of just a guy now. He's the seventh hitter in the lineup and starting right field, not your, your locker room voice with Todd Frazier. I think it's a great point. I really do. I, I, because look what happened when he went to Washington. You know, he, 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 was, he, brought, line a little bit. he was brought into the Nationals who already had a culture – and an expectation to win a World Series. And you look at some of the names that were there when he went there, Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Howie Kendrick. I mean, there's uh, Ryan Zimmerman. There are a ton of guys that he wasn't going to walk in there and kind of say, like, hey, it's my time. No. And I think, you know, when he was here with the White Sox, they were leaning on him to be part of that clubhouse culture. And quite frankly, that was a mess. It was a mess, and it really necessarily wasn't that of Eaton's fault. It was, you know, leadership – Bad leadership rolls down. It was it was Drake. It was Jake. Or excuse me, Drake LaRoche's clubhouse. Which is, which, was. And that's the thing. Like I don't know. Like and maybe that. Like some of the things Eaton has said, and I yeah. like. He's been great to me. 
Um, but just some of the things that all the things he got in trouble for, like when I say got in trouble that, that have led to some of this reaction is just because of things he's said. Yeah. Um, his actions have never really backed it. I know the Todd Frazier thing was an issue too, but my, my take on that is like, who's, who's made Todd Frazier like the ultimate good guy. Like, I don't see championship clubs adding Todd Frazier on one year deals every year because they yeah. have to have him. So yeah. like, let's not like, let's not mix this up too. The Drake LaRoche thing was really bad. I think that was, should not have said that. It was idiotic. <laughs> it was idiotic. And again, you know, I don't, good leadership nips that in the bud and I don't think it ever gets out. So I think the familiar, the familiarity of having Adam Eaton and knowing the type of player and knowing who he is on and off the field really helps make this signing something that I think in the long term and short term, because it's a one-year deal, is going to benefit the White Sox. I agree with that. But in, in a sense, I think the familiarity almost works against him or works towards this narrative of, is this going to mix up the clubhouse? Because Chicago fans, not just White Sox fans, but Chicago fans have been marred by this twofold in the sense that they've seen a lot of um, reunions and reconciliations with the Blackhawks that didn't pan out. This is not that. I, I'm not insinuating that this is that, but – just your casual cursory fan could mistake it for such. And we are at a time right now in Chicago sports fandom where pain is sort of the going rate. <laughs> like, like I, I'm not trying to be, um, you know, tongue in cheek here, but there isn't a whole lot right now for us to be optimistic about. So even when good things do happen to Chicago fans, we are conditioned right now to poke holes in it, to find the angle of how this could go bad because we're expecting such, you know? I feel like it's cynic by nature at this point. Like yeah. even even the Lance Lynn acquisition, like I, I'd say my Twitter feed had seventy percent anti Lance Lynn, thirty percent in favor of it. Like uh, that's insane. And like, now let's let, let's go there for a second because where's that negativity coming from? Is that more a, a pro Dane Dunning uh, take here than it is a negative in Lance Lynn sense? Combo. I think a lot of people don't know about Lance Lynn and how good he's been because he's been pitching yeah. in Texas mm-hmm. and they've been bad. So they just, it, you know, he's off the radar and off the grid and, and like they fell in love with Dane Dunning. And this is what I, this is my take. It's okay to fall in love. When you go through a rebuild, you're going to fall in love with guys who are 15, 16, 25 on the, pro, on the top prospect list. Yeah. Cause you've been following box scores and watching MILB.com for the last four years, but Dane Dunning, and I love Dane Dunning. He's, he, he showed flashes. He had seven starts, three good ones. His ERA was 9.39 his last three starts, and that includes the two-thirds of an inning that he pitched in the wildcard series, which was not his fault. But <laughs> no. my, point is, my point is, like, he's not the second coming of Pedro Martinez here. They didn't yeah. give up a future ace in, in Dane Dunning. I think if everything goes right, Dane Dunning's a, number, a really good number three for the Rangers three, four years from now, and you don't have that kind of time to wait right now for the White Sox. Here's what we know about Lance Lynn. If the White Sox are in game three of the wild card series next year, there won't be a debacle. There's no more of this, oh, God, who's, who's the number three starter? Mm-hmm. You have three studs now. And that's what I do. That's the part, like, I, please stop talking about years of control. Like, that, that, that stuff needs to go away now. It's time. Yeah. Like, I the think part, control thing is gone. Part of it is because I think Sox fans have become so conditioned, especially with these extensions, too, like, we, they fall in love with the control more than like the player yeah. themselves. And be, because Eloy was, you know, signed to that big deal and, and Louis, like we've become almost like, we think we have to have control over everything. We're so long. I, I don't really think that's the case anymore. And like, I think you and I were talking about it yesterday, like Dane Dunning, 
is not this 22-year-old prospect. He's going to be 26, 26 years old on opening day. Yes. That's not yep. like – so six years of control gets him to 32 years. Like, you're still – he's a 26-year-old with a decently high ceiling, if you know, a two or a three start or whatever, but he still hasn't hit that, and he's about to hit his athletic prime. So I don't think that's not yeah. – that's not the wrong guy to move on from, not that necessarily that he won't be good, but he's not the guy you need right now. This is part of what rebuild – this is like the final stage of a rebuild. This is why you collect all of these assets – is because at some point, you're going to do some things that hurt. They're going to hurt members of the organization who scouted them. They're going to hurt members of the organization who drafted them. And they're going to hurt the fan base more than anything. Because this is a guy you've been reading about or know, you know, have watched for four years. And you know what? Like, I just, you can't have everything. You can't keep everyone and sign everyone and acquire everyone you want. You don't have enough roster spots. And that's just, that's, this is not a video game. This, uh, is, this is baseball with the desire still being arms and viable arms to pitch in big moments, uh, you can't have everything, but the White Sox do have a lot to work with right now. And it doesn't seem like they're being maybe on a, it's almost inverse of what we think of maybe on the national stage, they're currently getting their just due, but on the local stage, they're being nitpicked a little bit more than they are nationally. People see TA and the attitude he's brought to town. People see an AL MVP. People see batting titles and doubles numbers and OPS numbers and all these things that you want out of a lineup. Everything is crescendoing to the, um, to the fruit that's going to be born out of this sort of rebuild, but it doesn't feel like they're being met with the same energy. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like this, this is a team that's in a place that's not getting the respect for the place that they're in already? Yeah. Some of it is self-inflicted. Um, you know, I think the LaRusa thing, you know, rightfully so. I mean, it, it, that thing, that was, that, that was like pouring gas on an already lit fire. But that's like, we know, what gas, we know what gasoline and a match do together. Like this right. is like, this is, this is again, like you said, self-inflicted by ownership, by management of making a decision that you know is going to be incendiary. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just, yeah. might, it's wrong right now. I mean, obviously the DUI thing has not helped the tone of the, it did not, yeah. It's all going to once and, and this before I knew about the DUI because I, I I mean I came out on the day of and Matt knows this I I was like very what anti the, what the hell's going on yeah I'm still I still have reservations I've warmed up to the idea about he where he fits and how he fits in I like the coaching staff so that part of me like I like the I like Ethan Katz pitching coach I like Miguel Cairo as the bench coach I, I like those moves like that to me says okay, like this is a guy that maybe sees like the future of this because this is not a, a decision you make for three, five, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, that part of it, I, I'm warming up to, but the only way you can truly evaluate it at this point is on the field. Yeah, once it starts so, happening. It's April 1st. Like then you want to start nitpicking like whether or not Tony LaRusso is right for this team. Like we don't know now. Like at this point, there's nothing's changing. Like, he's going to be the manager and it's either going to be good or bad or somewhere in between, like every other manager. Like, it's just, he's going, there's going to be a lot more attention on the White Sox nationally because mm-hmm. Tony LaRusso is the manager. I mean, they're on the first Sunday night broadcast of the season on ESPN, the White Sox and Angels. That, that's your matchup, LaRusso versus Madden. I mean, don't well, think that's not going to be a storyline from, from ESPN. And when you think about the, I mean, maybe not the targeted demo, but the current Major League Baseball demo of the middle-aged fan, Tony LaRusso is in their mind what Mike Trout and what like it's still the banner name 
because baseball has failed and we've gone this direction a million times on this podcast, but baseball has failed to build up their stars and and kind of um, have that relevancy and that current um, hook. Uh, Obviously there's a hook there for us, people who are in love with the game, maybe a younger demo, but there's still, I I mean, like my dad loved the La Russa hire because he knows who Tony is like plain and simple. And that's sort of what um, I guess the support across town has been. Uh, Matt, I want to get you in here, but uh, I'm going to go to you here, Matt, uh, because I don't know if we've really, um, I don't know if we've really, gone over this much, but in terms of the buy-in, we talk about buy-in, we talk about air in buildings, these intangibles, oftentimes in football, mm-hmm. Matt, but when you think about the cast of characters that there is in Chicago right now on the South side, the guy that's leading them, descent seems a three game set away to me like, like this, that this locker, that this clubhouse before even getting started, some of the um, sub tweets, some of the reading between the lines, the tea leaves here does not tell me that this is going to be, you know, gumdrops and roses and rainbows. Like there are going to be bumps in the road within this group. There possibly might be, but I think any great team you have does have those bumps in the road along, um, along the way. And I, I don't think any of the people in that locker room would have told you Tony LaRusso was their first hire to be a manager, but at the same time, not a lot of them have met, met him yet. They haven't really sat yeah. down and talked baseball with him yet. I, if they go into spring training with the mindset of the, there's a first, you know, first sign of trouble, this is going to create dissent in the locker room, whatever, first skid, whatever is going to cause some trouble, then – this isn't the type of locker room that's going to be capable of mentally winning a world series anyways. Um, and I think in terms of the fan base, I think most of the fans are going to panic a little bit at the first sign of trouble, first three game losing skid, whatever, but just think that's kind of the natural reaction from fans, any Chicago yeah. sports yeah. fan, not just yeah. fans, but Chicago sports fans. Generally. You were talking about earlier how we're kind of conditioned for bad things to happen. So the first sign of trouble, they're always going to, and especially with the Sox, especially with Jerry Reinsdorf, especially with a move like that, no one was going to like it. Everyone was going to come out against it. And it's yeah. kind of, we got to wait and see what happens. It's, it's got to wait and see what happens in, you know, spring training in the first few months. And like Guff said, as much as you might not like the Tony LaRusa hire, Ethan Katz is a fantastic hires pitching coach. He pretty much, I was going to ask you about him and, and we'll have you talk a little bit about more what he did for Giolito, but he fixed Giolito. Uh, Miguel Cairo is seen as kind of a, a rising star in the coaching circle. So they did a very good job surrounding Tony La Russa, I think with a, with a home run hire of staff. Yeah. Look to me, look guys, at the end of the day, like how did we, you said, how do we get here? So everyone want the bulk of the same people who are mad right now about where the socks are, which is kind of, that's why I want to talk about are the same people who were dying to get Ricky Renteria out. So like that move was made. And like that to me was the first, that was the line in the sand moment. I know Rick Hahn on uh, Tuesday declared that the window is open, but when they, when they fired Rick Renteria, that to me was the declaration of the window is open because they settling or making the playoffs was no longer good enough. And you raised the bar by saying, we're going to fire manager of the year candidate. And and, and now we're saying we're it's world series or bust. So like, all the things like the White Sox fans and people fell in love with about this team are still there. Like that's the, they're still there. All of the players, all of the guys' attitudes, the type of character, the clubhouse, all of the fun, none of that's gone. They're just adding into it and onto it. And you're so afraid and mm-hmm. so, that it's so delicate. These guys are grown men. They have control of the clubhouse. They're not going to fall apart the law, uh, at a three-game losing streak. And at the end of the day, players play. 
This is about players performing. Tony La Russa has nothing to do with Eloy Jimenez in the bottom of the eighth inning up with the bases loaded. Yeah. If Eloy strikes out and leaves men on base, he had nothing to do with that situation. If he hits a double to the gap, it's on Eloy that drove in the winning run. Players play. Managers aren't going to win or lose a ton of games a year. They are going to win, win some and lose some. But at the end of the day, this is about the core group of the, of the White Sox players that everyone fell in love with three, four years ago. And kind of circ- – it's like this made-up murky water. If you look down, you can actually see your feet, people. Yeah. You know, it's not as cloudy and murky as you think. I think that there's, there's sometimes a freedom to not having expectations with the teams you love too. Um, and White Sox fans now Fair. have to face those expectations with a team that, you know, has been put together to go win something. Uh, what their ceiling is, we're going to find out when they start playing these ball games. But um, just like it's easy for fans not to have expectations, start feeling a little pressure as a ball player when those expectations do meet you at the doorway every single day that you show up to the ballpark. And that then reveals who the true all-stars are, who the true guys are that are, you know, making livings within this game and who some of the prospects are that aren't going to pan out. That's that's usually one of the uh, the discerning factors here. As an incomplete puzzle, Guff, uh, what is your target right now? Who would you like to see the like to see the White Sox over the next couple of weeks here target open up conversations with and perhaps add to this group I think pitching to me is still you know still number yeah. one I know they added Lance Lynn I don't think they're going to sign Trevor Bauer for 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 not because the White Sox wouldn't want him I just think there's a lot going on there the Mets are going to be a big player in all of this and Bauer's a different cat you know like you got to yeah. figure out what he truly wants um but I, I don't I would not be surprised to see the White Sox add another starting pitching type Pitcher, meaning, and I'm thinking it could be a Jose Quintana reunion. Some people that's make the name cringe. that keeps coming up. It, it could they could cringe at that, but he, I think he'd be a great. Uh, I think he'd be like. There's no expectations. He'd be a four or five. He wouldn't come into the you know like the Cubs had all that talk and spotlight, and he clearly didn't handle it well. Um, he needs to kind of rehab his own career. I, I personally like James Paxton. I think he would be a good fit. But I do think they're going to add like another one-year type guy just to give them another added depth, better than Gio Gonzalez was last year for sure. And then you kind of see – because you, you still have question marks about guys that have a lot of uh, high ceiling and a lot of talent. But, you know, you don't know what Dylan Cease is yet. You don't know what Michael Kopech is yet. He's coming back. You, you think you might know that Ronaldo Lopez might be a better fit in the bullpen. But with Ethan Katz in, in, in now, you know, we'll see there. And then, you know – the elephant in the room, they, they still need a closer because Alex Colome is a free agent. So, you know, there's been rumors that the White Sox are tied to Liam Hendricks, which would flat out, it's, I was surprised and would be ecstatic because you're taking a major uh, step forward with a guy like Liam Hendricks who has lights out stuff. He struck out yeah. eight White Sox in the wildcard series in two and two thirds. So, but I'm okay with Colome. I think that Colome is a great fit in the White Sox bullpen. I think he's a perfect guy to slide in back. I don't, I don't think you want to take a guy like Aaron Bummer, who you've signed long-term, and just force him to be a closer when he's really good in a setup role. You know, the championship teams find roles for those guys and they lock them in. So, I, I, to me, it's all about pitching. I, they need a DH. We'll see. I, I think Kyle Schwarber fits into that profile really well, but they may have to wait on that. I would, I, I, if I'm the White Sox, you know, get that starting rotation filled out, add that last piece, and get the bullpen squared away with the closer. And from there, mix and match – with another bat, whether it's yeah. Michael Brantley or Kyle Schwarber. But 
You know, they're close. They're close. I, I do like this, the fact that the White Sox have gone out and just done it. You know, they're not waiting around in a market that's going to be very dark and cold, and it, and it could get into February with a lot of these guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the DH spot because that seems to be somewhere that people it, – it, outside of pitching, outside of right field, that's obviously a need that they haven't really had filled in the last couple of years. Some people say Andrew Vaughn. Um, what, what are your thoughts about – I'm kind of with you. I don't think it's smart to, to throw in a um, guy who's never played a full season into the, the starting DH role. But is that like – do you think that's an, an emergency plan if they don't land any of their targets? I was Forward. thinking more Greg Vaughn. He's looking more Greg Vaughn. He'd be a great closer. <laughs> Need a closer. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, here, Andrew Vaughn is. You talked about never played a full. Se- he's never played in double a full. Se- he's never been. He's never yeah. had an at bat in double A. Like forget the fact he hasn't played a full season. I, I look. This, he's a high. He's a what the thirteenth ranked prospect in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. The number one first base prospect in all of baseball. A lot to put on a kid to come in and perform in that DH spot in this on this team in this lineup with those expectations. It's it's just unfair. And I, I, I personally, I do not see a scenario where Andrew Vaughn breaks camp. That's what I want to hear. Big club. I do not see any. Literally, I do not see. He could hit 500 in spring training, and I don't think I, I. I personally believe he will not break camp as a member of the White Sox. So, right now, it's I don't know if it's a chess match or you know with what uh, with Rick Hahn even kind of doubled down on Tuesday saying that they like Andrew Vaughn as a possible internal fit. Maybe that's because the price tag on some of these other guys right now is just a little too high for the White Sox. And, and, and as, as, as we go through this process, it will come down with, with the Brantleys and the Schwarbers. So, uh, you know, and plus, Major League Baseball's in their own way here. You know, Joe, you yeah. talked about how they market the game. They haven't even made a decision yet if the DH is going to be universal in 2021. So you have all of these guys out there who don't even know if they're going to be a fit in the National League or not. So teams don't even know how to sign guys because the players' union in Major League Baseball can't get out of their own way. Which, if you'll let me just jump on my soapbox for for a mere moment here, that was a headline that was floated the other day. I don't know whether it was to see national reaction or whatever it was that it's unlikely that the DH will be in the National League this year. Like, how, how do you assess something? that was almost exclusively a glowing success and say, let's not do that next year. What, what's the thought process behind that? What, is this sanctity of the game? Is this baseball writers of America? What is at the root of this decision that's being made that almost seems too obvious to make? You know what? It's, 2020 was, the, it was of all the rule changes. It was the one that made the most sense. Everyone, you looked at it. It made sense when you saw it. It made I'm sense when it's the bat, the hitters on the field. It. I do it not want to see players relevant that weren't like. I, I don't want to see Lance Lynn taking it at bat. No, like you know, I don't want to see Lucas Giolito trying to lay down a bunt, bunt in the sixth inning and something come up and in on him. I don't need to see that. There's it, it, too much on the line when a guy's taking it at bat who shouldn't be. It's and, just. And, it's ridiculous. And the it's, fact that Major League Baseball will take a step back only to turn the script in the new CBA and change the rule back to universal DH. Like, that's the other thing that's not being really discussed is that if they, they, they go back to the old way of pitchers hitting in the National League, when the new CBA strikes, universal DH is one of the first things on the table. So you would go DH, universal no DH, DH, no DH, DH, universal DH. 
That's Major League Baseball. I mean, it's, it's, it is pretty bizarre, um, but uh, I guess it is, it is time to expect the unexpected. And things change quickly uh, in Major League Baseball and in sports everywhere, as can be outlined by, you know, Chicago baseball right now. The Cubs take a downturn. The White Sox appear to be, as we said, crescendoing in the right direction here. Um, as you take stock of the north side right now, Guff, and, and what's happened over these last few months here, departures of stars, um, I mean, departure of money. the man who's the t- money, the team um, constructor who's, who built it all in his mind's eye. Like, it is, it has been, I don't necessarily want to call it a fall from grace because we don't know necessarily what the product on field is going to be next year. I mean, it still could be a winning ball club, but at the same time, um, what have you made of this shocking change of pace on the north side it just feels so sudden yeah you know? like you'd expect like think about when theo came in and like just the the fanfare and like the red carpet and then he leaves via zoom you know and that's that's just it, it's uh and that's that and, and all these players that are going to be gone too are they're doing the exact same thing they're leaving yeah. you know kind of without any fanfare yeah, Theo did what he said he's going to do, which is build from the ground up. They were a mess. They won a World Series, and you know I think everyone thought they were going to win three. That's why it's baseball, man. Yep. It's so hard to win. So I think the Cubs. If you told me the White Sox mirrored the Cubs in a five-year window, went to three ALCSs and won a World Series, yes. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. I think it's more about falling in love. You know, we talk, it kind of brings it back to the beginning with Dane Dunning. You know, I think the Cubs fell in love. And I think the players fell in love with themselves because the Cubs don't get enough credit for actually trying to do what the White Sox have done, and it's extend their guys and lock them up to these team-friendly deals. They went to these guys, and this they, they looked around and saw the lights and the cameras and said, we're going to do this. We're going to be bigger and better than ever. I'm going to get $100 million, $200 million, $300 million. And there's not a player on that team right now that wouldn't go back and take those extensions right now because not yeah. one of them is going to get the extension that they were going to get originally, not one of them. When you're talking about guys like that, the one that jumps out is Chris Bryant, who undoubtedly had probably $200 million on the table that he let go and now is not going to get anything near that. What's kind of the market for him, do you think? Where do you th- I mean, he's probably not there opening day, is he? And, and what do you think he ends up getting next? What does he need to do next year to get you know a bigger deal? I would I would not give away Chris Bryant for peanuts. I mean, and right now he's right now he's dimes on the dollar. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can they afford to pay him twenty million? That's their problem. <laughs> yeah, can the Cubs afford to pay someone? Yes, dude. They own a neighborhood in Chicago. They've yeah. built the neighborhood. They construct. They basically came in, had a new blueprint for how they want it to look like, and say we're going to buy it all and. All those businesses are suffering. Yes, I mean, everyone is from the pandemic. But yeah, can the Cubs afford to pay Chris Bryant? Absolutely. Especially if it's going to net you a couple of single A arms of which you have no idea about and are hoping that you collect on the investment and all the stuff that the, the Cubs did to get Chris Bryant to delay his arrival so you can buy him this extra year. Here we are. Yeah. And now look, like what happened? What was it all for? So personally, I unless you feel really strong about a trade or I would keep Chris Bryant and see what happens at the deadline, because I think that's the best case scenario for the Cubs. And you figure out the money. If you have to move other players in order to do it, I like Chris. I thought Chris Bryant and the White Sox made it were a good match, but there's a lot of trickiness and stickiness there. So uh, I think the best case scenario for the Cubs, in my opinion, would be to trade him at the hope that he comes out as a big first half and trade him at the deadline. 
you know, it's, it's not always good business, but sometimes you have to invest in an unknown asset. You know what Chris Bryant could be. You, I think we've seen sort of his floor and his ceiling. Where does he fall between there? That's uh, what's set to be found out here. But that that's baseball. That's sports. Don't tell me you don't have money in a sport with no salary cap. You bought the team. You assume the risk. We've talked about this in the past with some of the things um, that teams are trying to do to recoup losses. I'm sorry, but if you're a, an owner of a business down the street that can't operate right now because of local state and government regulation that is the risk that they assume that it's heartbreaking i have my heart goes out to those people my heart doesn't go out to the billionaire owner who's going to recoup those losses in three years time because of the cash cow that he has sitting at his feet go get the players put them in position don't cry poor because right now is the time to win i don't care if it's north side south side cleveland milwaukee you own the team it's your job you assume the risk and you're responsible for putting a product on the field that does right by these fans. I, I, yeah. I, I, I can't stand – I understand it when there's hard caps and things of that sort, but when it comes to baseball and in many ways basketball, the whole do they have money thing is completely lost on me. Really well said. And, and if you have to move money, the, the, the Cubs have several players that I think would net them the type of return that, that they could get and get money off the books. You know, you Darvish is pretty attractive to a lot of teams right yeah. now. And quite frankly, his contract is pretty affordable. Three for 59 for a guy who just had runner-up Cy Young numbers. Give me, like, what do you need? That's I'll, easy. Take money, I'll take the money and I'll give you, you know, by taking on the money, you're already saying you're, you're going to give up a lesser prospect, but you're still going to have to give up something big in order to get Darvish. Like that, that move makes way too much sense for the Cubs. If you're trying to get money off the books, take that one. Yes. And keep Chris Bryant because it does you no good today, in my opinion, to trade Chris Bryant unless someone's calling you going, we're going to overpay and the market is right now crickets. No one's calling about Chris Bryant because he's got 18 and a half coming to him. Yeah, the Darvish thing seems like it would be a no-brainer because he's already, what, 33, 30, yeah. 34 years old. He's not – not that the Cubs are full on rebuilding, but they're definitely mm-hmm. retooling and he's not – when they, these next three years are not their window and you can find a team whose window is the next three years and get something really darn good back for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Wilson Contreras, I think would bring back a good return. Like, you know, even, even the way Kyle Schwarber left, you're like really 8 million bucks, like for a guy who's going to hit 35. It just, it's kind of odd. You know, it's, 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 it's almost shocking that you couldn't find a way to keep a guy who's your, your premier power bat from the left side, even more so than Anthony Rizzo. So, you know, the, this is part of it, man. Like, this is the roller coaster you, that, that you got on, that, that you had no choice when you were born. It just was part of it. And sometimes the roller coaster's bumpy, sometimes it's incomplete, and sometimes it's the thrill of your life. And it's always being built along the way until we're no longer here. So, Wise this is words part, from Ryan McGuffey. This, this is a part of the roller coaster that is back to being bumpy for the Cubs fans after, like, the best experience of your life. So, Hopefully the White Sox fans now, the bumpiness is smoothing out and it's about to be as fun as it was for the Cubs in 16. Peaks and troughs, uh, no matter. It all makes for good content and we will continue to look for that out of our guy Ryan McGuffey over at, uh, C- or, see, I was going to go old school, CBS Sports Chicago. <laughs> we don't, we don't say CSN anymore. A- NBC, uh, NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, you, you catch him, Sox Talk podcast, all, all the fantastic original content that they churn out on an annual basis. Um, it's been a pleasure watching you continue to do what you're doing from afar here, Guff, and it was always a pleasure working with you. He is, folks, uh, a D3 after it, so kindred spirit. Right. D3 receiver. Oh, that's you guys it. are wide Come on. 
you know, that, that, like, that, was our, that was our that was our initial sticking point. Like when I was, was an intern, I was like Division three wideout, DePaul Dude, athlete. Like I almost good. that I almost went like we almost I almost followed directly in that lineage of of, of Ryan McGuffey. But I uh, mean, I, I had a, I had a, I had a game or two at Illinois Wesley, and I remember yeah, I remember the catches. I remember all good stuff. I remember heartbreaking loss. Oh, yeah. I think. I think we remember uh, tailgates a little bit more. Oh, yeah, game. I definitely remember, I remember tailgating for your game. game some I, I can tell you right now. at our games. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was lubed up for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're football adjacent here, so we can't have you here and not give you at least a few moments to, uh, as we do here, air our Bears grievances. I mean, it, it is like drinking out of a fire hose right now to even ask you what needs to change, um, but – you know what? You mentioned what, what's what's salvageable. You, what do you like? Nothing. Give me nothing. There's nothing, nothing. positive to tell nothing. that. I, there's nothing salvageable. Don't tell me about the defense. Why is it 2020 or 2021? And we're still talking about the exact same issues we were like in 1990. 1901. It's it literally is insane. Yeah. We're sitting here. It's been the, the same only, thing since 85. Like I don't forget forget the Mahomes and Watson thing, which is in, which is which is idiotic, but. We don't even get a chance at like Tua's and like Burroughs and like we don't even get those treats. We just yeah. get Mitch. We just get everyone else's leftovers that are over a week old. It's you know what? It, it's exhausting. To be it truly really is. It's exhausting. Like no it's, it, it's exhausting. There's it, it, it's too much effort. There's nothing you get in return. Yeah. And except for the same misery, misery loves company. Like that's what we get. We get each other to sit here and bounce the same ideas and bad quarterbacks. The Bears are just a walking trivia question. That's what they are. They're just, who played the position here? Oh, remember that 100-year – like all these random guys that yep. came to this town and flamed out because of ridiculous ownership and bad coaching hires. Yeah, that's uh, – so, no, so what needs to change? I've got a whole lot of everything. Um, that's – I felt it this week. Finally, I've been saying it the last few weeks that I wasn't going to let them affect my emotions because, you know, having to be, having to play it down the middle and having to, you know, report on the Khalil Mack trade when you're in Northern California reporting Oakland Raiders news, I've had to navigate this differently. The Chicago bears are the only remaining team and, and the Notre Dame fighting Irish in terms of football that, that truly moved me emotionally. And this week, the way that they lost to the Lions, it did not affect me one bit. And I talked about apathy being freeing. I barely watched I was the game, honestly. I was completely free from the angst that it gives me every Sunday. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. I want to be a fan still. And it's, it's next to impossible with this team. You're just not, but how it's so hard to be. Like, what would that win have done for you? I, I'm not sure that the win does anything for you. And that's, that's this purgatory that we live in as Bears fans. I, I don't know. I just, had to, I just had to take your temperature on it. But we'll move on here. Let's offer something of value here as we do every single week. Uh, we're going to include Guff here on our locks of the week. Matt and I, a rare two-win week uh, out of the Moose and Ooh, Do place. not let us get hot. Every week he says it. Don't be, afraid, don't be afraid to share those. I guess you do on the <laughs> podcast, so I guess that counts. That's right. Uh, I have moved to seven and six. Matt, uh, hanging on here at six and seven. I think the bigger uh, story is see. I just snapped the five-game losing streak. Like I you was, did. I you was did. dead. You're, you're and cold now as I'm ice. Back. Now I have a little bit of life. I'm the Undertaker in, arm coming out of the grave. <laughs> we're in full fade Matt season. Uh, 
to that end, Matt, uh, the Undertaker, you're taking a total here this week. With your line I, I am going with a total. I was bouncing around both. I, I didn't really love many pro lines. Didn't really love many college li- college lines that jumped out at me. Um, I did like the Indiana Purdue rivalry game under. Um, I, Purdue's not all that great. Indiana plays great defense. Um, I think they're they what held Wisconsin to six, held Maryland to eleven. Uh, Ohio State puts them up on them early, but after the initial surge, Indiana really kind of locked them down. I love their defense. Combine that with their starting quarterback being out and hurt, Purdue not being very good. Rivalry game, I I love that game going under the 52. I think that's a lot of points. Do you have a contingency pick if that does not get played, or will that be texted? That will be if we don't get played. As is is tradition, I will text you on like Friday when that gets canceled. Uh, I will make sure that that gets tweeted out. Uh, We we do keep our receipts here at the Moose and Moons podcast. You were were nodding. Do you like my pick? You were nodding a little bit? Uh, I do like your pick because their defense, uh, it, it should be talked about more. Because not only are they good, at, they just take the ball away. I mean, they remind me a lot of, like, those good Bears defenses. They, they find a way. I don't care. And they don't care who the quarterback, whether it's Justin Fields, who I think threw three picks against the IU. I think they lead the, their, their top three in the nation in interceptions. That defense, Tom Allen's got that team. Play. Like, Indiana could be – like, what a story. I wish Michael Penix Jr. didn't get hurt because, you know, of all the things that have happened in the pandemic, uh, bad, like, Indiana is such a feel-good story. Michael Penix Jr., that is, if you were to put Philip Rivers in a mirror, that is the throwing motion. It makes me just physically like, ill to watch the ball throw the football, like, you, but he's been a blast to watch. No, he's been a blast to watch this season. I, I, I have I no disdain for Michael Penix. Uh, I'm hoping for a speedy recovery here. And I've even warmed to Indy Phil a, a little bit more than, uh, than San Diego Phil uh, in the past. But uh, He belongs in Indy more than he does in San Diego. He's more of an indie guy, blue-collar guy. Blue-collar, just really ruffle some feathers, get on with your business. Guff, you got a game you like this week? You know, I got a couple, uh, but, I, but I will play the game. I know it's a lock, not locks. Not uh, locks. I think there's a couple letdowns about to happen in the NFL this week. Please tell us about okay. those so I don't fall into that trap. I hate betting Thursday night games. I really do. But I, the Rams laying five and a half to the Patriots on a short week after the Patriots went across the country and just, I mean, absolutely annihilated annihilated the LA Chargers as underdogs. Uh, I think you're going to see a little – the Rams are a legit threat in the NFC. And I kind of like – I hate betting Thursday night games, though, because just – but I like the fact that New England – I don't know if – and maybe maybe New England stayed. I don't know. uh, They -hmm. should have because going all the way across across the country twice in a pandemic already seems risky in itself. So, I mean, I'm looking at that game as a a game that – that, that jumps out to me. So I might be all over that one. Rams then, have been super Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde mm-hmm. too. Like they, they'll yep. come off a, a performance where they do look like an NFC contender and completely just forget that they're 49ers. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the Dolphins at home, it, it is hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. And they had a letdown game themselves on, on mm-hmm. Sunday night against, against Denver. But when the Dolphins are getting a touchdown, like a full seven points at home, I raise my eyes because they play hard for Flores. And the, no team in the NFL is better against the spread since week five last year than the Miami Dolphins. And they're the best in the league this year against the spread. So, I mean, I take, I'll say this. My eyebrows have been raised at that moment, at, at, that, at that line. Again, Patrick Mahomes makes it awfully tough. And then I'm going to give you one little college thing to keep an eye on. 
anytime Kansas lines up on a Saturday, take a look at the game. I know for the first time they cut, they didn't win the game last week. They are oh, they're one and eight against the spread. They're zero and nine overall. They are a pathetic excuse for a Division One franchise. I'd take Illinois Wesleyan right now. <laughs> Here we go, Titans. Kansas. I would lay the first half line. They're playing uh, Texas this week. They're Aren't they like getting like thirty? They're getting like twenty nine and a half. They're I getting thirty. They're oh, getting thirty. I love Texas. I love, <laughs> Texas I love first Texas. half. I like a lot. Texas That's... first half. It's it's off the board as we speak right now. I'm guessing it'll be somewhere around seventeen. I would lay that hard. Is that is that senior day in Austin too? You might have to figure that one in. You might, have to, figure, might have to figure that one in. I, like I can that. tell you what. If it's senior day in 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 Lawrence, where, where are we at? Like uh, Lawrence, Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> if it's senior day in Lawrence, lay the thirty. How about that? And I feel I like I'm it. That for the seniors because we can all you know remember what that was like but it actually it as we speak it has gone somebody came in and threw some money on senior day i think you get it's it's in kansas the game is oh in there Lawrence. we go oh that's and the line just moved a full point so it's 29 now let get i it, like that even get more. it while you can uh <laughs> south of 30 we love it um, i'll give you a dual locks i like it i am actually going direct opposition of one of your locks here and i, I love your thought process when it comes to the dolphins and the Chiefs. I love the numbers going back to last year and what this Dolphins team does against the spread. But I love the Kansas City Chiefs as the far and beyond favorite to not only win the Super Bowl, but to start making some statements down the stretch here. We were struggling kind of in the abyss in the middle of the season, and Matt and I both latched on to Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, lay the points, lay the yep. 28, lay the 30, lay the 30. They continue to cover. I'm looking for that. It's a little chalky, but I think you can find that right now with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are a touchdown better than everyone in the league not named the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. That might be like four and a half. I, I think they might be a touchdown better than everyone in the league. I think that if, if you give me Kansas City, I'd love to buy it down to six and a half, but for the for the purposes here of lock of the week, I'm taking KC, laying the seven. I think it was a little bit of fool's gold midseason with the Dolphins as well. Yeah, strong defense. Yeah, good run game. I think there's a lot of question marks around Tua. You even had some people clamoring for fits at halftime last week. Not necessarily things moving in the right direction, whereas the Kansas City Chiefs, I think it's time that they start flexing their muscles as the favorite that they are. They cover the seven, no problem. Matt, say something. I, I, I'm, I, not, I'm, I know. Gonna, I, I'm not going to follow just, up my own. I'm not going to follow up my you've own. You've never had a problem following up your own statements with another statement. You know, Joe, I do agree <laughs> with that. I, I really never had a problem. <laughs> uh, no, I just I love that you guys are on opposite sides of this. There is we don't we don't be, get that. We don't there's get that. Going often. to be a, we've, I don't think we've ever had taking locks as opposite sides. I, no, I think we going have. Going to be a defined winner and a loser. I think you guys have to have like a gentleman's bet here. That's it. Um, uh, hey. Well. I will. If I lose the bet, just you can thank me. The for winner that. of the the loser of the bet has to admit the other was the better D three wide receiver. Publicly. Wow, that's fine. That's wow. fine. Okay, I can do that. I well, can I'm do good. That. I can, it's been twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there too, Gus. I'm getting there too. Uh, well, we can't thank you enough for joining us here. If it's on a push, the you guys have to podcast. say I was the best D three football player. That will never happen. Uh, no, thank you. Definitely not. Thank you, uh, Guff, for for lending your knowledge here, White Sox and beyond. We've had a blast with you. You're always welcome here on the Moose and Runes podcast. Uh, Tell them where they can find your stuff. Where should we direct the eyes right now? Absolutely. Uh, You know, White Sox Talk podcast, anywhere you hit your podcast is definitely where you want to be for for all of – all the up to the date. This is the time of year where the emergency podcasts are alive and well. And uh, NBCSportsChicago.com, all of our White Sox content there as well. 
for for anything uh, good or bad, even if <laughs> even if you don't like the moves, we're there for you. Ride the roller coaster with Guffley. Thank you, pal. Thanks, boys. Mercy. Wow. So again, a special thank you to our guy Ryan McGuffey, uh, Matt. I mean, so much to take away from that interview. He he breaks down a lot of things for us in terms of wants, needs, and haves with the Chicago White Sox right now and how, you know, this group is built to win and to the extent of what we shall find out. But uh, let's not act like the sky is falling because a couple moves here or there. Yeah, one's a manager and, you know, one's a guy who was on the team who sort of has a checkered pass, for lack of a better term. But let's not pretend like you don't have an MVP. Let's not pretend like you don't have um, a guy in who who's going for batting title after batting title. Um, I think uh, an air of positivity there that's lost on, on many Sox fans right now, no doubt. Yeah, and the way he talks about Lance Lynn, I, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed because he, he made the good point. Like a lot of people look at the name Lance Lynn and don't really realize what he's been doing because the last few years he's been in Texas and Minnesota where not many people get the attention they deserve. But, I mean, Lance Lynn the last two years has been top six finisher in the Cy Young Award. And he, I mean, he made the point, you go into game three of a three-game playoff series this year, you don't got to worry about who's starting that one. You have Lance Lynn there ready to go. And I, that was a I, I kind of – been thinking that myself, but hearing someone with the baseball knowledge of Ryan McGuffey being that confident, that positive in the signing mm-hmm. made me um, very mu- feel more comfortable about it. And, and also, I, I think another big takeaway I had from that was I, I had, Joe, probably five or six more questions for the guy that we just kind of couldn't get to because yeah. you know we're on schedules and we don't want this thing to run two hours. And I, I could have gone another full interview probably with the guy talking White Sox. You give him you know, the, the smallest question, kind of similar to Mark Schanowski, you give him a, a pretty short question, he turns it into a really long, thoughtful, informative answer. Ryan McGuffey, part two. Do I, do I smell it coming? Uh, we'll, we'll have to get him on. We'll talk some pre-spring training stuff. But we'll get him on. He'll, he'll be back. He's contractually Maybe. obligated to come back on. I didn't From the far. shadows of Scottsdale Stadium, we Ooh. shall see. We I shall see. Uh, Matt, before we say goodbye to the people here, I think we've been sitting on a couple – we got uh, a mailbags mail bag. from oh, the yeah. people. We got a mailbag from our from our good friend Big Red up, Matt, weird here. friend of the pod. He wants us to talk, up, talk about some food, which is fine. That's that's our wheelhouse here on the Moose and Runes podcast. Now it, it's a Chicago I just based pictured food a wheel question. of cheese, but go ahead. Be, what, what kind of cheese was it? You said wheelhouse, so I pictured a wheel what kind of cheese? cheese in my head. It was just like a stock, like almost like a Disney piece okay. of cheddar. Like okay. yeah. Uh, We're going to talk about Chicago (laughs) restaurant. Before we get into what what Chicago restaurant do you think? Is it Johnny's Beef that you probably miss the most, that you miss having? 100. Okay. I don't know if it's that I miss the most, but it's the one that every single time I come to, I will go. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk. We're not going to talk about the, you know, the the one and done shops. We're going to go back to kind of the Chicago food staples, kind of the chains. And we're going to play Stardom, Sit'em, Cut'em. All right? Are you familiar with this game? Stardom, Sit'em. Stardom, Sit'em. Is that like, isn't there a. Isn't there a different version? Of, what's no, I don't. I never heard of a different version of that game. I only think it's no. Sports. I only think it's okay. Sports. All right, we'll do start um, them, sit them, cut them. Yeah, start them, sit them, cut them. Uh, with, I think it's no, no. I don't think it's no. That. It's not. It's not. Hey, go ahead. Okay. You're, you're up. Yeah, uh, we're we're going to talk about Portillos. We're going to talk about Lou Malnati's, and we're going to talk about Harold's Fried Chicken. So I'm, I'm you. You are the one who's oh, most man. separated from this, and I want I want the freshest eyes on it. So I'm going to have you the floor. Give you the floor. Start, sit, cut between those three. And we may have played something similar to this, but that's fine. I don't really care. This podcast has been going on for four years. Sometimes mailback my questions are very my, my start's easy. My start is Portillo's. Okay. I, I, we get a little 
we get a little iffy here in Sitka. Portillo's, you just know you can go, and we've talked about it before. You can go and get a good version of a lot of Chicago classics. It's not going to mm-hmm. be the best. You go anywhere else for it to get a better. Like, not anywhere, but there's a specific place. You can place get a solid a version of anything. There's a specific Port- place I can go yeah. for a better beef. Portillo's does everything place. solid. But, you know, you go and come hungry, leave happy type, mm-hmm. type situation. <sighs> it's it's going to be hard for me to cut Lou Malnati's. Oh, but I think I have to cut Lou Malnati's. Oh no, that was gonna, okay. I'm starting. I'm starting Portillo's. I'm sitting Harold's, and I'm cutting Lou's just because. And I love Lou's. If it's deep dish, it's Lou's. I'm getting. I, I like Pequots too, but regular, just deep dish down the middle. Hey, we're ordering deep dish pies. Where should we? Mm-hmm. Lou's is fine. It's the generic. I just Let's go eat with it Lewis. with such irregular irregularity. There you go. Like I, I don't eat word. it often enough. Thank you. I don't eat it often enough to, to have a spot in the starting lineup. Could it deserve a, a, a bench spot? Yeah, but I think I eat chicken and chicken wings more than I eat deep dish pizza. That's what I'm basing this decision off of. I, I That was going to be my surprise shocker move too, was, was my cut is, is and going to be lose. Um, it, it's, I've always been more of a Giordano's guy over lose, and this is by no means do I dislike lose. Very like it a lot, but like, when I'm ordering pizza, there's just so many different options. And if I want a thin crust, I can go find somewhere that probably specializes. It does it a little better. If I want a deep dish, like you said, there's Pequod's, there's, there's Giordano, which is kind of a different pizza. Whatever. There's just so many more options out there that I don't – lose does nothing, you know, so much more over the top for me that I feel the need to keep it. Um, I'm going to sit Portillo's because I like having that as just kind of – I like I like that it's that's there probably the me. smart play. I like right that it's there, there yeah. for me. I'm I'm I maybe get it once a month, what every other month, whatever. But like when I want it, it's always there for me. There's a lot of options. It's pretty much always going to be open. All that kind of stuff. Like like you said, they don't do anything great, but everything I want, I know I'm going to order. It's going to be fine, and I'm going to be able to go back to being on the couch and watching football. It's usually on a weekend, <laughs> and I'm going to start Harold's just because I think it's so unique. I don't think there's really many other options like it out there. And the other ones that are, are, you know, your, your fast food joints like Popeye's and, and KFC, Chick-fil-A, which, which don't really compare to it. Um, and I think I, I love the, I guess I, it's just the uniqueness of Harold. I mean, you can get chicken, you can get fish, you can get wings. They have some great side orders there too. I just, I, I think. The mild that, that sauce is, can't go without being. It's enough. it's a Chicago station, which I didn't realize. I didn't realize the mild sauce is really just kind of a Chicago thing. That was yeah, it's not well. mild. It's not like mild hot sauce. It's its own thing. It's a proprietary blend. Yeah. But I, I, so I just for its uniqueness and for how good it is at what it does, I think I have to start Harold's because I don't really think they have much other wow. competition there. Wow. Yeah. Starting Harold's. What a time. Well, I mean, you look at what Portillo's. Like, even if I want to go hot dog, no, the best like, spot is perfect. If I'm going to stock hot dog or beef, like I could still go to Al's, which is um, it's not. It's more of a unique thing, but it's not quite like, like they have locations. I can find it out. Like, there's there's still other options there too. Just just high level stuff there out of Matt Rooney. Like, thank you. To well, the yeah. culinary arts. If there's one thing I know, it's 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 usually fast food. There you go. We will yeah. bring on others as our experts for uh, conversations not culinary. Uh, that's why we think. Yeah, we're that's why. That's why we don't bring on culinary uh, guests. For we got that. No, there, will, there will be no chefs here on the Moose and Moons podcast. You're talking to them, all right. But uh, gotta thank Guff again for joining us here on the Moose and Moons podcast, episode 184. We thank you as well for stopping by and listening. As always, 
Hit us up on Twitter at Moose and Rune. Send us your mailbag questions. We love them. Drive this podcast through this bear storm and stay with us, folks. We're almost there. As always, for Matt, I'm Joe. See you next week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>